Welcome to another exciting episode of the Design Rush podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Mayer, and today we have a guest whose name is synonymous with innovation, design, and growth. Michael Gaizudis, the founder of r one and R3, joins us to share his journey in the tech world and gives us the inside scoop on the future of Web3, AI, and the transformative power of digital design. Buckle up, listeners, because this is going to be an electrifying ride into the world of the digital future. Alrighty, Michael. So once again, thank you so much for joining us today and making the time to sit with us here at Design Rush. Um, so Michael, before we start our podcast today, um, I want to get into more of like the dig- uh, the nitty gritty of digital transformation, um, like the current trends and such, you know, stuff like that. But before we do that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your roots um, things like your early inspirations and how you ventured into the world of digital design and tech. Um, so can you share a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for, for having me here. I'm excited to share more about my personal journey and story and equally what we've been building within our agency, r one for the last 13 years. I can't believe it's been that long. So it's exciting. And uh, thank you again. <laughs> So what what was it that got you started on this journey? That's a great question. So many years ago, um, maybe a good starting point would be to just quickly talk about my history and background and uh, and then venture into where we are today and what led us here. But, you know, in the beginning, I came from a background of uh, deep appreciation of the world of advertising and marketing and uh, my, my degree uh, college degree was in advertising. I spent many years working at different ad agencies and brand agencies, and uh, those that were deeply immersed into what was happening at the time with larger consumer technology brands, such as, let's say, Sony PlayStation of North America. Uh, I worked in the re- recruitment advertising space for a little bit, and then ultimately for smaller branding shops that were doing really exciting things. And uh, then from that point, uh, kind of segued into more consumer tech. I built a consumer tech startup that at the time was kind of challenging what Quora was doing. And Quora was really big and hot at that moment. This is back like 2007 to 2010, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, we had a, a, a team of 12 and it was a fascinating journey. And uh, we're, we're able to really build out something pretty unique for a platform and uh, ultimately ended up pivoting and, and kind of repurposing that that business. But through this whole experience of working at different agencies and uh, building that consumer tech startup, as I mentioned, in Silicon Valley at the time, I, I realized that, you know, I really needed to be more immersed in the agency world. And so I created what initially was a consultancy for RNO one And in the beginning, we were called Rule Number One, which meant to live the brand. And uh, we started working like everybody else. We took on small projects, uh, eventually medium-sized projects, and ultimately larger project engagements and retainers. And we worked with a lot of different companies very early on, 2010 or so, uh, again, about 13 years back. And many of those customers were Cox Media Group. I'm trying to think of others in the beginning, Microsoft, we, we took on you know, smaller startups that were tech companies, many of which I'd say were B2B tech in the very, very early days. And eventually it became more enterprise level and we started working with mid-sized companies. 
and uh, enterprise meaning much larger. So that could be, you know, 5,000, 10,000 employees. So what we, what we wanted to do was, you know, I think from day one was to, within RNO1, which is the agency we run today, was to challenge what was going on in the agency space. We just didn't really know it at the time. Uh, you know, we, like everybody, we wanted to get in there and uh, pay bills. And I think that's important in the very, very beginning. And, you know, we did that and we learned a lot of different things that worked. I'm still learning. We're still learning, trying to figure everything out. It's a, a complex space to play in. And, uh, and I think what, what I was always gravitated towards was technology and great design. So what we tried to do is, you know, really appreciate the brands we worked with and the companies we were invested into. And likewise, they did the same with us. We said, you know, who can we work with that's doing really exciting things and how can we add tremendous value? And what ended up happening, just kind of long story short, is about, you know, I'd say six years ago, five to six years ago, we said, you know, everybody else out there, every other agency out there is really taking on projects or retainers. And you know, at that moment, about five, six years ago, we, we were heavily working with, you know, technology companies, e-commerce brands, uh, and then ultimately in the last year or two, more Web3 AI-centric companies. But what, we've, what we felt is that every other agency is doing the exact same thing. They all have great work. They're all taking on projects or they have very large retainers and clients, the clients we worked with really didn't love that. They were just stuck in that. It's almost like if you're uh, you're wanting to buy a home and you have a certain budget, you're going to usually, if you're looking at a new home, going to go to all these new home builders, especially in the United States. So the big name home builders, right? And you'll go there and they'll have showrooms. They all kind of have the same thing, right? It's a showroom. It's like, here's the model home. We have three different floor plans. But the problem is if you're a family that doesn't really fit that, that mold of I want a model home, but rather like we talked about in the beginning of the conversation, you know, if you're in Europe, it's not as common to find that, right? You know, it's, um, it's a little bit more nuanced. It's more customized. It's more, you know, relationship driven, experiential. So what we wanted to create within RNA one was a format that could really help tech and commerce brands to grow and scale well. And we felt that the project format, the retainer format was totally broken. The agency world was broken. And, you know, I came from big agencies, as I mentioned, I came from small agencies and I saw a lot of different things. And more importantly, we saw what our clients were struggling with. So about five years ago, we changed the game and we said, you know, let's create a model that really helps people to grow. And so we, we essentially modified the way we work to being a subscription model, a subscription service model for tech and commerce brands of the future. So we brought one subscription model to life as a proof of concept. It failed miserably because, you know, in the beginning, our clients loved the idea of it, but they weren't necessarily the right fit for the model that we were, you know, trying to, to sell for. So they loved the model, but they didn't really, they weren't able to take advantage of the full potential. And then over time, we started attracting more of the right, uh, the right, client partners for the model specifically. And what that looks like today is, you know, series A, B, C plus funded startups. Um, they maybe have taken 5 million to 500 million in funding. 
they're profitable sometimes. Maybe they're not just funded, but they're profitable. They're growing. Uh, they're a B2B tech company. They're AI. They're fintech. Uh, they're defense tech, health tech, any kind of tech, you name it, we work with them. Or they're D2C e-commerce. And the differences between how we work with all of them is that you know, each subscription service model we have really is enabling these types of companies at different phases of their growth. So we have a subscription model that's dedicated towards foundational work. So think digital branding and UX, UI design and product design and ultimately development. That can be web and app development. We have another subscription that's dedicated to digital marketing. So that could be paid social, paid search, email, organic. Uh, we're, we're really big into TikTok. So we, we've actually coined something around TikTok SEO, which is a whole component to our business. And uh, we do CRO work. So it's really facilitating growth. You know, how do we get more users and customers and sales and revenues? So if you're a new uh, a newer e-commerce brand, maybe you've done like 2 million, 4 million in revenue, uh, but you're not a big name e-com brand yet, we can really help you to grow well. The same holds true with the B2B tech company. Let's say you've just secured 10 to 20 million in funding and you need to really do a brand overhaul or you need to think about, you know, really creating a trans transformational UX path for your product or uh, maybe it's development. You know, right now we're working with uh, a company in the, the financial, the fintech world, and we've been working with them for mm -hmm. about 16 months now, and uh, they're amazing. And they've, they've hired us to, you know, really spearhead building a digital banking platform uh, that is competitive to a lot of things out there that we're familiar with. And, uh, it, you know, we'll eventually manage $1 billion of assets globally. So that's a huge undertaking. So what's exciting about this is that those are the two programs I mentioned, the two subscriptions. We have one more that's for very progressive tech companies. So, you know, we talked about in the beginning here, uh, AI and metaverse and DeFi and blockchain. So we have a subscription dedicated just for those brands. And the reason it exists is because we worked with several, you know, crypto, DeFi, meta type companies, you know, especially, you know, about three years back to present. And we saw a need for that, but we're also trying to be really futuristic because what's happening is we're evolving and growing, you know, as a, as a civilization, as a global economy. And these digitized mediums are really incredible. So we want to be able to really fuel growth cross-channel, cross-platform uh, for all these different types of companies. And for us, it's all about growth within r one So it's all about understanding you know, how are we going to enable this company's growth now, but really think about where they're going to be in five years or 10 years. And, uh, you know, that's a difficult challenge, but we're here to really enable that every step of the way. Well, I mean, you know, from what I've also researched about RNO one you guys are doing so, so much at the moment and you have been for the last good few years, actually. Um, thank you so much, Michael, for, for giving us that really robust introduction to what it is that you guys do. Um, it's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, but I'd like to get a little bit more to you before we get into all of the other digital stuff. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you were always into tech and design. Um, was there something, you know, specific that really made you get interested in that? Was there like a gadget or a game or a design trend that initially 
um, made you get bitten by the tech bug, can we say? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So when I was really little, I grew up in Chicago, uh, Chicago in the U.S., mm -hmm. a big city. And, um, yeah, you know, my, my parents were hardworking. My dad was, uh, my parents were both in healthcare and Eventually, my dad transitioned to data processing is what they called it back in the 1980s, which is really IT. Uh, so he was in the hospital system doing, you know, IT work or data processing, as they called it then. And uh, and I remember, you know, he for around my fifth birthday when I was about five, this is in the 1980s. Uh, he gave me a computer you know, that was his like initial computer. And, and he worked on computers that were wall sized you know, room-sized computers in the hospital system because that was popular back then. Uh, <laughs> but the computer I had was was on my little desk as a five-year-old, right? And I got to play really fun games and experiment, you know, with with what I now understand was basic coding, right? Uh, there was a game where, you know, I would have sure. a monkey throwing a banana at different buildings. And uh, so it was a lot of fun, you know? It, it, was, it was fascinating to me that this this basically this computer this machine could do all of these different things and then what i found over time is that as each new gadget came to life you know the the next big kind of marvel moment for me was the iphone uh you know i was one of the first to get mm -hmm. the iphone back in i think it was 2007 or so 2008 um so i you know made sure of it because i was so mesmerized by what this could do and uh, I think that was the next kind of big turning point. And then ultimately I was a kind of a predictor of, and I would tell everybody this, you know, streaming is going to take over everything, right? And everyone would say, no, 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 DVDs, CDs. I said, no, 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 just, just wait, be patient. One to three years, it's going to be everywhere. And then lo, lo and behold, Netflix and Amazon and, uh, you know, every, everything else takes suit. So it's it's really just exciting. I think technology is just such a gateway for opportunity. And 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 that's what really gravitates me towards it. And then when you layer in design to answer your question, I think it's so extraordinary that you could take creativity and mold it with technology. And the opportunities are limitless. Now there's obviously some some danger in what could happen to the future with the rapidity of change in technology, how fast it's moving, be it with AI, et cetera. But I think that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is an enabler to help us to be more productive and more meaningful and more creative and more efficient. So, uh, so anyways, that was my big moment. You know, I'd say the big moment was when I was a little kid and then, you know, when the iPhone came out and then, just really seeing different movements that happen with tech and then the intersection with design. And uh, it, it was just you know, more of a, a constant gravitation for me, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I think back, uh, I used to, I have two older brothers. And when I think back, I, my mom tells me I was little, I was like five years old and I used to kick my older brothers off of the computer so I could go and play on it. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I totally know what that feels like. I really do. I know what that feels like. It's, um, you know, some of us just get bitten and it's, it just never really goes away. Does yeah, it? no, um, But what I do want to, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but Michael, what I do want to ask you though, if you had to look back 
So that young, eager Michael that was so, you know, into tech and stuff. Do you have any words of wisdom that you would have given to him? Oh gosh, buy stock in Apple <laughs> or, uh, or or Microsoft <laughs> or Amazon. That would be it. Yeah, yeah. Just from the financial end, and then <laughs> outside of the financial end, you know, I would just say learn more, absorb more, um, pay attention to things more. You know, just um, be be present, which is huge, but be chasing something else like you know if if you were looking at technology start thinking about where it could go and how you could use it and uh how it could actually interplay with your life more at that age that you're in you know like today's day and age is incredible because you know, we have two kids we have an almost nine-year-old and a uh a five-year-old and it's incredible to see their acumen for Roblox as a, you know, metaverse type environment. I mean, they're they're so into Roblox and the possibilities of what can happen. They know more about it than I do. And that's just incredible. Like the the level of knowledge that they gain from spending limited amounts of time in that environment and the application to how that intersects with their current age. And, you know, we're, you know, we're talking now about building Roblox uh, games through uh, I think it's called Roblox Studio. And, uh, you know, it's just really exciting. You know, it's just, it's so cool. I think, as I mentioned, technology is amazing. And I think if if utilized the right way, can be game-changing in so many different ways. So I would just tell the younger version of me or anyone, just be more aware and, and try and make everything more contextualized to where you are in your life at that moment and chase something great, with what technology could do for you into the future. And then equally from the financial end, you know, now it's difficult to obviously predict what's ahead. But if I were to tell myself, yeah, definitely invest in Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, <laughs> I would have been smart. Uh, if I could go back and tell myself that, that would have been great, so. You know, Michael, I have asked so many people that same question on our podcast, and I think yours might be the best yeah. advice I have ever heard. That's <laughs> totally. That's, that's what I would do. In all, yes, in all seriousness, that's what I would do. You know, it's, uh, I, I think it's twofold. You know, you, you've got to embrace the opportunities yeah. for technology, but you also have to understand that, you know, money is a great tool. It's a great utility. It's a great resource. So if you could capitalize on that, it allows you to do so much in helping yourself, helping others, building and igniting businesses and brands. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> all, all things being equal, I think it would be a really smart play to go back in time and do that for sure. A hundred percent. Okay, so now that we've gotten that out yeah. of the way, um, let's talk a little bit more about RNO one I have a few follow-up questions from yeah. your introduction that you gave us. Um, now, obviously, we know that you've worked with really big brands, you know, like partnerships with Microsoft, Airbnb, and Disney. Um, how would you say, um, does your agency keep its unique edge and remain distinct when working with such big brands? Yeah, that is a great question. So I think, I think it's really important. This is my best advice for any person, business, brand, consultant, team, agency, literally anything in the world, uh, career. I think you have to always 
consistently radically differentiate. And, and I think that's the challenge because a lot of people, teams, consultants, brands, agencies, everything I mentioned, they become complacent. Um, I think people think if something works, it will continue to work. That's kind of the assumption, right? And, you know, I, I'm victim to this too. You know, I, I fall into this trap myself in that, you know, you think you think you have something until you don't. That's usually how it goes, right? Uh, so you're only as secure as you can make it. And you can only control what you can control. You know, the controllables that you can control are what you can control. And I think the best control you have is radical differentiation. And the sea of the same, you have to constantly stand out. Now, there will be people, that people, companies, brands, agencies, et cetera, that try and replicate, duplicate, copy, whatever you want to call it, whatever you have built or designed or delivered. But I think the key is to keep going, right? So you have to take complacency and, you know, walk into the front door and say, you know, it was good to see you. We'll see you later and keep differentiating. That's the key. So when we're working with small startups, well-funded, well-capitalized companies, larger enterprise brands, that still holds true as well. We have to be thinking about, number one, when they work with us, why are they attracted to us? Uh, it's, it's because of our model. It's very unique. Uh, it's because of the quality of work. It's also because we push them to think and act differently. And that's what we do really well. You know, as I mentioned, there's different sides to our business. We have a digital branding arm to our business. We have a UX UI product design arm, a development arm, and then a marketing arm, right? And they all work together, but they all function differently. Like on the marketing side, we're doing TikTok SEO, which most people would never mm -hmm. touch. They're like, what is TikTok SEO? What do you mean? Uh, and TikTok is a phenomenal channel to reach a younger, more progressive audience set. But then if we think about B2B tech, how can you radically differentiate in B2B tech? Well, number one, you have to think big picture. Like, where are you today in the market? And how do you quarter 86% of that market? You know, what, what is going to be the fluid movement to get you from here to there, right? And, and there will be a lot of volatility. There will be a lot of uncertainty. So I think the key is just being aware, again, as I said, of what you can control and controlling that. And when everyone is doing one thing, it's almost like akin to what Tesla did. This is, this is the best. I always reference Tesla. People used to reference Apple, and I think Apple is a phenomenal brand. But... I love to talk about Tesla. Um, I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk and the brands he's built specifically from a business perspective. Uh, but, but more importantly, what he's done with Tesla and where he was and how he started. And it's, it's really fascinating just to see his evolution. If, if you think about what the automotive industry used to be globally and what it is today and where it's going, transformationally, you know, I'd say you know, really intentionally has shifted because of Tesla. And yes, I know now in, in recent news, some domestic car makers are thinking, okay, well, we shouldn't get so much into the electric space. 
because of economic reasons, I think people are more constrained and they're just not investing as much. But but I just really believe that the technology they brought to market was radically different. The execution was radically different. When you buy a Tesla, it's so white glove, it's incredible, it gets delivered or can. Uh, there's showrooms, there aren't sales reps. It's just a whole different experience, right? And they changed that game. So that's what we try and do for every brand we work with, every business or team we partner with. It's looking at this like, how do we radically differentiate every step of the way? And sometimes it's something as simple as your digital brand identity. Sometimes it is more product design, UX centric. When we're thinking about a marketing website or a SaaS platform or a digital banking platform, what are we doing that's so engaging and so connection driven? And then our marketing team is thinking, how do we convert in a different way? How do we use a different platform that nobody's using and use it differently than they're even using it? So I think the key is just to keep pushing, right? Keep challenging. You know, I, I listen to a lot of people. I listen to Gary Vee, for instance. You know, he has 30 different things going at the same time. Seven of them he knows are going to fail. And I think if you're recognizing that, that failure is a part of this forward momentum, that's the best way because the market ultimately defines what happens, but what we can do is control how different we are, how radically different we are, and how we keep fine tuning that in response to what the market wants and needs. A hundred percent. That is really a very, very good answer. Thank you so much for that. So, um, but again, you know, speaking about like the bigger brands and stuff that you've worked with, um, given all of that and like keeping yourself distinct in that way that you just described, um, was there ever a specific challenge that you had with working with brands like Microsoft or Disney? I mean, you know, how did the, or and if there was, um, how did that influence R&O1's approach to future projects with big brands or any brand really for that matter? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good question. You know, when we think about larger brands they they really mm -hmm. they have a lot of divisions and teams and internal division goals internal team goals and that can be challenging because there's there's a a separation between the bigger picture momentum and so you're you're tracking against something very very specific sometimes in isolation I think big brands are great to work with and we, we always welcome the opportunity. And I think we can see some, some pretty good growth, uh, growth momentum from, from those opportunities on all sides. I'd say the bigger impact we're making is probably mids for mid-sized companies. So that could be, again, as I said, mm -hmm. series A to series C funded technology companies and startups. They've raised, you know, five to 10 million on the low end to 500 million. And we're interfacing with their marketing teams and their product teams and their UX teams and their founders and their leadership. And the reason that can create more momentum and impact is really because things live less in a vacuum. They're more integrated and holistic. And, you know, they're chasing becoming the bigger brand, cornering the market share going IPO, getting acquired, raising a hundred million. So they're chasing something else. I think the difficulty with big brands sometimes is that they're not always chasing anything. 
they're already there, right? So it's sometimes maintaining that positioning in the market. Um, it, you know, I think it becomes a complacency issue, as I mentioned again. It's like, where can Apple go now? You know what I mean? Like it's, um, and that's that's a tough concept. I'm sure most agencies wouldn't wouldn't talk about this, but where can they go now? They they're at the top. Apple is Apple. Google is Google. Like Tesla is Tesla. You know what? What do they do now? How do they accelerate that growth when they are a market leader already? Now they have to defend their position. So I think exactly. I think these bigger brands are more on defense and they're trying to innovate, but they're really defending position in the market. Whereas I think a lot of these mid-sized brands are in offense. They're accelerating. And you know, it's it's really interesting because in Roblox, in there's a game called Bed Wars, which I play with my almost nine-year-old, and uh he loves it. He's always on offense. He's always going to break beds and take out the team. And I'm there at, at the base, defending the base. And it's very different than how I work in business and building brands because I'm usually on offense. But for whatever reason in that game, I want to hold the fort. I want to defend. You know, I figure he's young and he's wild and he's ready to go. Let him go, you know, and I'm just going to sit there and hold things down and um, I, I like to look at it like mm -hmm. the movie Gladiator. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Nice. So in the very beginning of that movie, you know, he's going to war and he, he, you know, he pulls back and he says, hold the line, right? He's seen it. He's done it. He's been there before. Hold the line, right? Because he knows what's coming. He knows that the opposition is going to push forward and they're going to hold the line. And he's going to be far back because he sees everything. So that's what I do in that game. I hold the line and look from above. Now, again, in the world of business and brand building, I think there's a time and place for both. I think you need to hold the line when you're the Apple, the Google, the Tesla, and really try and defend that market position. And equally think about what you can bring that is radically different to market because it will help you hold that position and maybe accelerate your position. And then when you're a mid-sized brand that's taken 5 million to 500 million and you're in growth mode, it's all about how do I radically differentiate and 10x that and 100x that so that the, the direct or indirect competition doesn't even exist? And the key is you don't want to look at them. And it's hard not to look at them, but you want to look at them for some basic competitive analysis. But you really want to say, why am I so fundamentally different, better or both than anything out there in the market? And why should my tribe, my users, my customers care? And how will they adopt this in a way that is so efficient and scalable? So that's what we do here. We're working with those mid-sized brands. We're working with those larger brands. And I think the key is just understanding, are you in defense mode? Are you in offense? But regardless, you're always radically differentiating with the brands that we work with. A hundred percent. You mentioned something earlier uh, where you said, you know, we're partners. Uh, and that actually reminds me of something as well. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but here at Design Rush, we... We host a global market of, of agencies, you know, all kinds of agencies for branding, web design, um, stuff like that, you know. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, how do you feel platforms like Design Rush contribute to fruitful collaborations? And why might a brand opt for an agency like RNO1 through such a platform, do you think? Yeah, that's a really fascinating question. I, I think. I think when the right teams and brands are motivated to find the right agency partner, 
they start to gravitate to channels and platforms like Design Rush because they see that there's a great caliber of partner through those through those channels. So essentially, you know, if they stumble upon RNA one, which we hope they do, and we can have those conversations, they're quickly going to realize that we have a lot of expertise. We've done great work. We have a really unique way of operating through our subscription service model. And again, this is a high value subscription service model. So this isn't, you know, $500 per month commitment. This could be six, seven, eight figures per month for some of these companies that we work with because they're really invested in their digital brand or digital product and their growth. So I think when we're talking to companies that find us through Design Rush, we're realizing that they're looking for a certain caliber of agency partner and we're looking for a certain caliber of client partner. And as a result, it, it can work really well. So that's the idea. I think that the connection point to the right client partners is definitely there. And equally, you know, there's some great uh, complementary agencies that are doing phenomenal things on Design Rush in different categories. And sometimes for us, it's going to be complementary on the development side or the content side or the social side. So, you know, we're, we're always looking for those, you know, fruitful collaborations, as you said. And I think with Design Rush, we're, we're really led down the right path to forging the meaningful client partnerships, but also the collaborative partnerships with like-minded uh, complementary agencies and, and firms like us. Exactly. Thank you so much for that. So, okay. I want to steer the conversation now to something that I have been dying to talk to you about sure. more. Um, obviously, as we know, the tech realm has been buzzing with terms like Web3 and AI, um, and it feels like we're on the cusp of another digital revolution, although I think we're already there, to be honest. Um, so I'm eager to get your insights and your expertise, Michael, on how these technologies are intertwining and the kind of ripple effects that we can anticipate in the digital space. So um, Web3 is obviously a term that's become increasingly central to the digital world. So Michael, given its importance, um, Web3 is super significant for the focus of RNO1, correct? You know, I would say that a really good answer to that question would be Web3 is a component to what we consider to be progressive technology. And I don't think it's limited to that, which is cool because, you know, whether it's web two, web three, web four, whatever you want to call it, you know, if it's progressive technology, we want to be there. And so do our clients. So, you know, what we really look at now more than anything is progressive technology, future tech is like we like to call it. Uh, I think for a while there were a lot of buzzwords happening and, you know, uh, buzzwords that interplayed with real utility sometimes, meaning real things, real function. And then sometimes buzzwords that actually didn't really have a lot of utility or function, but, uh, you know, became more mainstream because of something that maybe was a little bit more gimmicky or um, viral, let's call it. Mm -hmm. So yes, we definitely work sure. with a lot of companies that are investing and have invested in Web3 that are looking towards the future of uh, Web4. Some people are calling it Web4. Future tech companies, AI, uh, mixed reality, meta-like environments. And I think, 
I think it is definitely a revolution, but I think it is relatively early with a lot of these things. And I think the key is just to recognize that, to recognize that it's early and that's okay. And so much can change and so much will change. So that's what we see. We see a lot of things are happening and they're interesting, but I think they're really early. So brands that start adopting a lot of things quickly, they, they go all in. And sometimes that all in attitude yields a really favorable output, but sometimes it's a little bit risky and things can turn. Like we saw with what happened with FTX, uh, Sam Bankman freed and kind of the collapse of crypto. So many people were involved in crypto, crypto exchanges. They were heavily invested in cryptocurrency. And when FTX kind of went belly up, so did I think a lot of things that were attached to the crypto community. And that's not limited to cryptocurrency that could extend out to NFTs, um, you know, non-fungible tokens and PFPs, which are uh, profile pictures essentially and what happened there with like board apes, et cetera, all the way through to what you might see with the metaverse, you know, uh, just a quick fact, you know, Facebook now called Meta, they they made a big move in the metaverse. It's cost them $50 billion. Um, and it's not because they Good. failed. It's because it's so early. That's what I mean by this. It's, mm. it's an early vision for what's to come. And I think we need to look at it that way. It's like circa 1993, 94, when the internet began, right, publicly. You know, prior to that, it was private internet, local area networks, right, lands. But now in today's day and age, you could really look at these things, I think, as an early version of that. Now, what I would say is because technology is so rapidly changing and rapidly moving, it's not going to take 30 years to get there. It's going to take a blink of an eye to get there, yeah. you know, maybe in the next three to five years. But the whole point is, you know, we just have to be aware of that, I believe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really like the point that you just made. We are still really early yeah. to all of this stuff. I mean, there's no telling where we're going to be in the next three years. You know, things, I mean, if we just look at AI and how quickly we integrated AI into our content creation this year, it's yeah. actually quite insane. So it, things are moving really, really fast. But Michael, um, before I ask you any further questions, um, for those listeners that are still wrapping their heads around the concept of Web3 or Web4. Yeah. Um, can you dive a little bit deeper um, and briefly explain, if you can, um, what Web3 is and tell us why it's so pivotal for the future? Yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly. So Web3, just by and large, it's, it's really like an idea, core idea of, you know, basically a, a newer decentralized internet built using blockchain technology. That's the concept, right? So decentralized, you know, essentially meaning that right now, centralized everything, centralized internet, centralized currency is all owned by somebody, someone, right? So it's, it's, it's an owned concept. So these companies own X, right? So when something is decentralized, the idea is that um, it's collective. You know, it's um, it's basically community run rather than one centralized source or centralized model, which a handful of corporations own, such as in Web2. 
So that's the idea of the core idea of Web3 is that it's open, it's collective, it's uh, community driven. Community is a big part of Web3. And I think that's good and not so good. Um, you know, it's challenging. So it's, it's almost like, I like to look at it like this. Um, and this is my, my opinion. I could be wrong. So <laughs> don't hold it against me, but, uh, I like to look at villages that used to exist, tribes that used to exist. And they were extremely efficient at working together. And because they worked together, they excelled, they survived, they evolved, right? But there were still leaders of those tribes, of those villages, right? There was still some type of governance, if you will. And it wasn't always community driven. There was community, but it wasn't always governed by community. In my personal opinion, I think the future of technology will actually not be community governed. I think it will be community involved. I think there will be principal stakeholders that will own various outputs of technology. And I actually think that's a good thing as long as it's not manipulated or, you know, unfavorably controlled. I think it needs to be monitored of course, and ethically and morally and fiscally centered. But I do think there has to be some type of control. And I'll give you a, a use case here. So, and this doesn't directly relate to RNA1, but you know, we've had relationships before in the Web3 space with what's called basically a crypto network foundation. So I won't put a name to it, but let's just say various groups that have a cryptocurrency, and then they have a community that basically governs their foundation and what happens. The, the difficulty there is that, let's say as an agency, you're trying to go through the process of rebranding or um, coming up with a new UX UI design path or building a platform, you've got to get their entire community to sign off on that. And the problem there is that everybody has an opinion and then they start finding things that ordinarily might not even be relevant or contextual. And it's really difficult to get something approved and get something to work successfully. So that's just a use case. Now, if you took that same approach and you brought it to a B2B tech company or FinTech company that's privately owned and operated, that really just wants to see growth, they're gonna have their leaders and their internal stakeholders decide what could work well with the agency. And then the, commu the community is their user base, their customers, they're gonna ultimately say, I love it or I don't love it. And they're ultimately gonna buy it or not, right? So I think it's really cool in that you still can control the controllables. I think the difficulty with Web3, especially on the agency side, is that you lose even some level of control of the controllables. That's what makes it really difficult because there's so much community governance. So that's what I mean by Web3. Um, it's supposedly this next iteration of the internet. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think in many cases, it can be a really good thing. It's just, it has to be contextualized. You know, I think sometimes it can be difficult to work in that environment as a partner like we are, especially when you have to get approvals from a thousand people versus two or three or four. Um, it, it's a very difficult feat to, to take on. Okay. Okay, so that also brings me to my next question. I promise I have a point to all of this. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, okay. So, <laughs> so smart contracts, 
um, which I know are essentially like self-executing contracts uh, where the terms are directly written into code. Um, they're a cornerstone of blockchain technologies. Now, before we continue, um, can you briefly tell our audience more about what smart contracts and block blockchain technology entail? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can. Um, I think high level, you know, the idea is that, you know, essentially a smart contract is it's automating essentially the action required in a basic agreement or a contract. That's the idea. And I think there can be a lot of utility in that. So for instance, in the real estate market, that could be incredible and it's untapped. You know, if, if you were able to utilize smart contracts on the blockchain for real estate, could be just phenomenal. The problem with it is that real estate, for instance, has a lot of local laws, um, city laws and ordinances, municipalities, counties, states. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of intricacies. And the real estate market in the United States is very broken and fragmented in my opinion. So, um, so anyways, that's the basic goal of a smart contract. Again, it's automating the action required in an agreement or contract. We don't do a lot with that here. Um, you know, we do do a lot of development work, but we're not developing so much in the blockchain. We're working with brands that live in the blockchain. So what that means is that let's say, let's say I'm a blockchain, um, I guess an example, I'm a cryptocurrency network and we've worked with several of these and I'm building our ecosystem using blockchain technology, that group might need help creating a digital brand. They might need help creating a UX UI design for their platform. They might need help actually building the platform that their internal devs can then take and interface back to the blockchain. Okay. Um, and then this brings me to the next question. Uh, again, I do have yeah. a point. Um, the fusion of AI and Web3 obviously seems to be at the hearts of digital transformation, as we can see right now, you know, and it's just going to get yeah. even more in the next coming years, as I'm sure you would agree. Um, so how would you characterize this union between AI and Web3? And why do you think it's creating such waves and grabbing such immense attention in the tech and digital sectors right now? Yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting question, truly. So I think AI, in my opinion, and I guess just my opinion, so please take it for what it is. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I think AI has incredible opportunity in its line of sight. For instance, I'm investing in a health tech company because I, I also invest. I'm an early VC and angel investor. So I'm investing in a health tech company now that is set to do amazing things. And AI is a kind of a underpinning of what they're doing. And uh, I think it has so much utility and so much opportunity. And it's so different in so many categories. You talked about content, but it extends out to tech brands, B2B tech, consumer tech, e-commerce, literally will be infused in every type, type of use case of our life, I'm sure at some point, right? There's incredible things happening there. So I think there is a good intersection there between AI and Web3. Um, I think that the unification of those things is really specific to what is happening in the case of Web3 and how they're using AI tracked back to this, again, 
community-run, controlled internet. So I think there, there has usually been a little bit of a separation between those two worlds up until now. And I think you're going to soon see more convergence uh, where Web3 companies will start to utilize AI technology into what they're doing. And probably lesser AI to Web3 because AI is, you know, probably its own useful technology stack. But, but I think more so Web3 utilizing AI in conjunction with what they're building on the blockchain, if that makes sense. And it's very, it's very exciting. I mean, to me, AI has a lot of promise and a lot of opportunity. And I think it can be very scalable. It's, it's really incredible to me. AI is more incredible than the idea of web three. It's fascinating. I think web three in the beginning sounded fun and glamorous. And it reminds me of web three reminds me of the days of the gold rush. I felt like everybody gravitated to this idea of web three, like gold miners back in the day, chasing gold in California. And I think that's what happened. I think everybody did. I don't think it was limited to businesses or brands. I think individuals, they were just chasing gold. They're like, gosh, if I invest in this crypto and if I am a part of this NFT company, you know, and everybody had that same thing in their minds. But the problem is it was, I really believe it was just that. It was, it was a lot of momentum in the moment. But the question is, could it provide utility sustainably at scale and delight and connection and conversion? So I think that's the, the problem set. Now with AI, yes, it is a new buzzword, but it's been in the sidelines for a while. I think it's getting more attention now. That's the point. And I actually think it has more sustainable utility, meaning it can last more. I think the legs are stronger and more prominent uh, where it can ride the waves of what's to come and actually embed into a lot of different environments over time, which I'm really excited about. And a lot of our companies today are AI-enabled companies. Um, they're in fintech, financial technology, huge piece of that business. They're in cybersecurity. Um, they're in health technology that's leveraging AI and B2B tech. I mean, that's a big part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny because I was going to actually ask you about that and I was going to say, you know, do you see web or do you see AI having more longevity uh, than Web3 had? Because I like how you said that it was kind of like gold <laughs> rush that everybody just wanted to get their hands on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, in terms of AI and Web3 and all of that, I do think, as you said, AI is just so easily integrated into everything that we do, right? So, I mean, there is definitely a sense of longevity with that for sure. Yes, Um, definitely. But what I also want to just, yeah, 100%. So what I also wanted to bring up was, um, you know, there was a Medium article that I read, and this is, is, I'm getting to my point now (laughs) with this line of questioning, but uh, there was a Medium article that I had read And it introduced the idea of AI-integrated smart contracts, um, which of course would make them more adaptable. So in your view, how might this interplay between AI and smart contracts redefine business strategies in the digital realm? Yeah, that's that's an interesting and fascinating idea. And, And I think it very well could because AI 
artificial intelligence, very simple, easy to understand concept. It's intelligence that's really hacked to be superior to that of any other intelligence. That's the idea, right? So um, I think it can add and augment anything. And I think the idea of smart contract augmentation through AI actually makes a lot of sense. Now, industry-specific use case and business strategies really could apply to anything. I mean, it could apply to business contracts. You know, if, if you're looking to write a business contract and there is a tool that is a smart contract platform, uh, you know, making that more efficient, and then you have this adaptability with AI that can write the contract for you, right, or edit the contract for you built on the smart contract ecosystem, that seems to be incredible. So that's one opportunity, I'm sure. And there's probably a million of them. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally see that. That makes a lot of sense to me for sure. Exactly. Um, and then also on the other side of the coin, I also read that Crypto Slates reported a partnership between Multiverse X and Google Cloud, um, which of course was a strategic move by that tech giant into the AI and Web3 realm. Um, now this collaboration aims to leverage AI for blockchain powered tools um, with Multiverse X's architecture aligning with Google Cloud's BigQuery for, excuse, uh, excuse me, for executing large scale blockchain projects. Now with such major collaborations in the offing, where do you foresee the most promising opportunities for brands and agencies in this evolving landscape? Yeah, that is another really good question. I think, you know, predictively, nobody knows what's going to happen here. Um, I think like anything, it does take time for these things to evolve and grow. You know, I think there's, there's, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I alluded to this idea. I think there's a fear of AI displacing a lot of individuals, teams, agencies. And then there's the other side that looks at it as an enhancing mechanism. And from anybody that I listen to, I think AI at this point is nothing more than an enhancement and evolution of opportunity. Uh, could it displace many people down the line? Yeah, definitely. Uh, does it have the opportunity to do that? Sure. But I think today, and probably for the foreseeable future, it's an incredible framework to help us grow, evolve, scale. Uh, I think from the agency side, you know, I saw something from someone the other day that talked about, you know, we gave AI an exercise to create a brand vision, uh, brand strategy and brand vision for a company we were working with against what we delivered. And the good news is it's not at the level where it can do that yet. So that's positive. So this company, okay. this agency, namely does brand strategy work, branding, digital branding. So they were relieved that, <laughs> that their human component still adds value. And I think that's the key. You know, we need to keep being human. We need to keep being creative. We need to keep radically differentiating. And we need to leverage technology as an enhancement and an opportunity to scale. And in the case of what you mentioned, I think that's a very exciting collaboration, especially for, you know, these larger scale blockchain projects. I think agencies can tap into that by offering more strategic guidance, thinking about design as a component. How will design fuel this growth? Uh, looking at, you know, other opportunities for content development, digital marketing, you know, so th there's a lot of interplay with what agencies and brands can do here. 
And, uh, you know, it's just, it just validates that technology is always changing and we need to constantly be changing with it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I really love the, uh, that you just said that because, you know, yes, I think that, of course, AI, there's, okay, let me put it this way. There's obviously a lot of people that are talking about like, oh, can AI take our jobs and stuff like that? But, you know, the more conversations and the more research I'm doing on AI, and I mean, I work with AI every single day, you know, I think most people do these days in any case, um, you know, especially people that are in our sectors. But, you know, we work with AI now. It's, it's become so integral to the work that we do because it just makes our days so much more productive. Um, however, I really agree with you is that AI is always going to need a human touch. You know, uh, I think we're maybe not a long way off, but we're certainly a ways away from, uh, you know, just AI running itself. At, at the very least, it's going to need us to really prompt it to do certain things. Right. So, um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, AI definitely hasn't uh, reached the point where it can really do everything by itself yet. Um, and yeah, we need to keep that, that human touch to it for sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, but what I also oh, want to ask you I agree was, completely. Uh, and I think, I think it's, um, it's just a great catalyst to our success. I think AI can exactly. fuel and help us to fluidly scale in market. It's a powerful technology solution that can be embedded into everything we do if done the right way. So it's, it's just a great, it's a great uh, utility and resource for sure. A hundred percent. Okay, so now I'd like to talk a little bit more about Web3 and the metaverse, which is obviously something that we've been discussing and it's been coming up a little bit uh, throughout this conversation, especially with the metaverse. Um, now, obviously these things present no notable challenges, of course, um, from scalability issues and blockchain networks to regulatory ambiguities and adoption barriers, um, including like the intricacies of crypto wallets. So Michael, considering your expertise, um, how do you see these hurdles shaping the near future of Web3 and the metaverse? And what strategies might businesses adopt to overcome them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think, in my opinion, and again, I'm going to give you my opinion. <laughs> uh, That's, please go ahead. Yeah. That's what we want is your opinion. Yeah, I believe that we are far from the metaverse as we think it existing from actually mm -hmm. thriving. I think I've seen a lot of different things from Decentraland to, you know, the idea of what we're envisioning in the metaverse to happen. And, and that's not to say brands aren't being successful in their initiatives to roll things out in the metaverse or various metaverses. Uh, that's not to say it can't happen or won't happen. It's not to say people aren't monetizing it on the, the flip side where they're not making money from these brands because they are. Uh, I just don't think it is... I don't think it's caught its tail, so to speak. And I think that's the issue. What I really want to see personally, this is what gets me excited. You know, when Meta releases Quest 3, it's, you know, there's some changes and people are excited. Some are very excited. Personally, I don't love goggles um, or headsets. I want to be deeply immersed in an environment. I really want the holodeck from Star Trek. That's what I want, you know, 
<laughs> and I think we are eons away from that. But that to me is a radical transformation. That's like going from a flip phone to an iPhone, right? It, that's what you need. And, and I think the metaverse idea is a phenomenal idea, but I don't think the technology, the utility, the adoption is quite there yet. I think we're, we're far off, far removed. With that being said, I think there's a lot of metaverses and metaverse-like environments that are actually insanely successful. For instance, Roblox, uh, as an example, is a metaverse environment, and they are insanely uh, successful. So Roblox has an ecosystem where they've created basically a gaming platform, and they have so many users that partake in different games. Uh, right now, if I'm not mistaken, they probably have 66 million daily active users, 214 million monthly active users. That's insane. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. to think about all these players that can play within this environment and different games within this, you know, truly unified environment. It's incredible. And, and it isn't, I don't think it feels like a metaverse per se, like what we would envision. You know, when we think metaverse, we probably think something so futuristic that it, it reminds us of our own reality. I think that's what I mean by it's so far removed from where we want to be. Um, sim, you know, simulation-based environments still feel, I believe, distant. Even if you have a haptic suit, you know you're putting it on, right? So it's like the, the thing to remember, I think, is that We'll get there eventually. You know, the holodeck will exist someday. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for that day. You know, I might be an elderly person. I don't know. I hope not. Could uh, <laughs> happen. Uh, I am. Excited. What's that? I said I'm. I'm super excited for that yeah. day too. I think it's going to be uh, revolutionary. Well, and that's, and that's what gets. I think that's what gets me excited. You know, I think. I'm a futurist, so I, I think about, I, I live in the present, but I'm also a futurist. I think about what's coming and what can come and what could come or what might come or what will come, all those possibilities, right? And, you know, I, I wanna be blown away. Like, you know, that's the way I operate and that's the way R01 operates to track back to R01. You know, we, we want to put something in market that challenges everything. And, you know, it's unfortunately for somebody like me who is a futurist and uh, a differentiator, disruptor, it's difficult to be wowed, you know? And that's challenging because even when you put something out for yourself, for your personal brand, your own brand, your own business, it's difficult to be wowed. So you have to keep putting yourself in alignment and saying, okay, it's gonna be all right. Uh, but for me, what I think the metaverse could become is a holodeck-like experience someday. I think we are way far away from that. I think the next evolution there will be an environment that feels as realistic as possible and that has a great level of adoption. And I really believe on, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, it will probably start as a mixed reality. So, you know, eventually somebody will get it right. They'll have glasses or some type of very discreet equipment that will allow us to live in our real life, but still be connected to another life, much like our phones. I mean, if you think about it, our smartphones today are interconnected with every aspect of our life. I mean, we're having video calls while we're having coffee. So I think it's not a very big deviation from that idea. 
And I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be the next micro evolution. And then eventually we'll get to a place where we're fully immersed with other people. But I don't think this is probably why the $50 billion meta loss existed for the metaverse, because I don't think we're quite there yet. I don't think people want to put on a headset or is inclined to play with other people, with other people that are there and not there. I don't think it's as fun for them. I think it needs to be more interconnected, more seamless. At least that's my opinion. I know exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I know exactly what you're saying. But, okay, well, I want to just circle this back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, where maybe you, or when we when I asked you, you know, to give yourself advice, you know, when you were younger. Um, do you think that people that are investing into the metaverse now, like Snoop Dogg and Paris Hilton, that have, you know, bought some virtual spaces into Central Land, as far as I can remember, actually, um, do you think that's maybe them investing in something that's going to be the future early? You know, I I believe that the people you mentioned, Snoop Dogg, Paris Hilton, they're they're brand savants. They they know that great branding is great diversification, and that's what you yeah. have to do. Uh, you you need to diversify yourself. You need to be in places that people aren't there. They're doing what I mentioned. They're radically differentiating. When they're there and nobody else is, good for them. Because they're they're taking a percentage of a market that nobody else is touching. And they're going to continue to do that because that's how they think and that's how they act. So I think it's very smart on their part to be in an uncharted territory. Uh, I don't think they're fully immersed there. You know, Snoop Dogg's now on LinkedIn. He was only there recently. LinkedIn's becoming more of a hot commodity. So... I think what they're doing is they're they're trying to make waves in new markets. And then they're also trying to make waves in known markets and up and coming markets. And that's a good thing. Uh, and I think that's what brand diversification is all about. And that's what we would encourage a lot of the companies we work with today is much like you would invest. You're not going to put all of your investments in stocks and bonds and CDs. You're going to think about alternative investments, real estate, crypto, uh, be a Bitcoin that's more stable or stable coin. You're going to think about uh, commercial real estate, multifamily real estate, digital businesses, investing in, you know, uh, seed, seed round investments. So the thing is diversification when you're a brand is key too. And I think for them, they built such robust brands that they can afford to spend a little there and they can afford to own that market because nobody else is there. So it's early, right? So I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's a good move. And I think anybody like them that is looking for more market share, you know, wh why not, right? Will that yield anything for them? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I think it could, depending on what they're after. If they're selling, you know, a $10 plushie, they might do well. Yeah, maybe they'll sell a thousand of them or a hundred thousand if they're trying to, to drop a new album. Yeah, because it's affordable, right? You've got to know your market. Uh, so I think it depends, you know, and, and granted, like I said, these metaverse like organizations that are onboarding brands into the metaverse, they're making money and the brands are paying for their services, especially if they know what they're talking about. That's not a bad thing. It's just I think it's just so early. I don't know what you can do at this point. I, I think it will get there and it will be very exciting to see it unfold. 
And that's what we're doing within R and one to track it back to that. We're not looking at things we, you know, we used to, we used to years ago, probably eight years ago, we used to look at very specific technology platforms and designing for different mediums. And now we think, gosh, we're really guiding brands across platforms and places because brands live and breathe everywhere and they forever will, right? Unless they're community owned and operated, <laughs> they, they forever will, right? They'll always be everywhere. And so that's what we try and do. We try and design, build, forge, and foster opportunities across platforms and places. Exactly, yes. Okay, so just also talking about, you know, investing into the metaverse now, um, I think there was recently a, a whopping sale uh, or the most expensive sale in the metaverse real estate that was like $5 million in uh, the TCG world, right? Now, I need to ask you, with, with such like crazy swings in like virtual land prices and without getting too analytical, I mean, what's your take on these roller coaster price move movements in the metaverse? I mean, just for fun, what crazy forecasts can you make um, about where these virtual land prices might hover in the upcoming five years? You know, just take a few guesses if you can. You know, I sadly uh, would bet against all of that. I think. Really? Yeah. I. And this is just my. This is my prediction. I think like, you know, YouTube or Instagram emerged from under the radar and had a huge exit, both of them. And there's so many other brands like that, right? Platforms like that. You know, if you think about history repeating itself and then look at what exists today and in a good colleague of mine who is in the metaverse space and we have partnerships with groups there, they talk about this too, you know, like Decentraland is one of the platforms now, metaverse platforms, but there's so many and there will be forever so many. So if you buy land there now, and let's say you put down $5 million in Decentraland, will that even mean anything in five years? Who knows? It may not at all. It, it could, but it may not. Uh, it is a bold prediction because unfortunately, it's, it's changing at such a rapidity of pace that it could be something else, you know, completely. It could be a whole other platform or ecosystem or environment. So I would hedge my bets against investing in one of these metaverses right now until there's more data and predictability and investment, you know, cross brands and, and also users and customers. So I think you need a little bit more of a, uh, a confidence metric to back that. You know, it's such a strange time because, again, the metaverse is very different than what we're used to and that it's a whole different environment, whole different ecosystem. So if all the users leave Decentraland and they go on to the next thing, what is that worth, right? You need users to drive worth, users' attention. We're in the attention economy, right? So wherever you have eyeballs, if they're the right eyeballs, that's like Times Square in New York, right? That's why it's so prominent because it's it's a hub. It's a hub for everything. You get the right eyeballs there, people buy, right? So I think that's the point. You need the right traffic, the right eyeballs, the right users, the right customers. And wherever they go, it's like Field of Dreams. 
if you build it, they will come, but they also have to stay and they have to engage and they have to connect. So I look at Roblox, if I were to bet in anything, if I could own land in the Roblox ecosystem, I would own land there because I see the gravitational pull of that metaverse-like environment as a gaming platform. Because exactly. gamers are heavily invested exactly. in the next thing and they're, they're equally brand loyalists. You think about gamers, they start gravitating towards one game, they become pros at that game and then they stay there because it's like second nature. So if I could build a real estate product for Roblox and people would stay there, I would bet on that. Um, but other than that, I have no idea what the future holds, unfortunately. I think spending an outrageous amount of money might be a really good PR play. But beyond that, I don't know if it will amount to any type of a sizable investment. It's really hard to say. Okay, so we all should just be observing keenly then, is your advice. Yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly... Um, hold the line and observe and uh -huh. uh, going back to gladiator i would hold the line you know th there's a lot of uncertainty i think in technology and what's to come and i think we just need to pay attention and, and again pay attention to what brands are doing pay attention to what users and customers are doing and and those are the biggest influencers of where to gravitate towards but then at the same time be be proactive enough so you're not reactive Meaning if you're in something, pay attention and know when to shift. Because with technology, it's very different than real estate. I think real estate, if you're looking at physical real estate, you know, you're gonna see usually a pattern of dip before there's a crash. With technology, it, it moves in many cases like crypto, like, like it's a whole nother level of like what you see with stocks, right? The, the, the nature of Bitcoin could be 34K today, and then it goes down to 13K tomorrow, right? It could be just like a cataclysmic event. So the thing is not to say it will, because I think Bitcoin's going the other direction, but the whole point is you just don't know. You have to pay attention for sure. Exactly. Uh, Michael, we have discussed so much interesting stuff today. Thank you. But, um... I just want to ask one final question, Absolutely. just for fun. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if you could, and money was no object, if you could carve out your very, very own uh, virtual world, what would you name it and what would it look like? Oh, gosh. Would this be for myself or for R&O1 or? Just for you. Just, just for, for you. me. Oh, wow. That is a great I mean, question. Yeah, just for you, you can buy something if you want to, but uh, it's it's your world. Wow. What would you do? Well, I would have uh, a lot of water in my metaverse. <laughs> it would be, uh, you know, beach beach haven, if you will. Uh, you know, and I probably call it life's a beach, you know, or something like that, because, you know, I think my metaverse would would allow for complete relaxation, but also challenges. You know, I, I would want there to be an economy in it. I would want there to be real estate. I would want there to be businesses and, uh, you know, uh, captains and, uh, you know, captains and uh, first mates of industry. I'd want there to be people there moving and, you know, hustling and creating creators. I want there to be creators in this life's a beach 
uh, environment, metaverse environment, but also a huge interplay with relaxation and enjoyment. And I, I again, I think it's difficult to conceptualize relaxing in the metaverse because it's so detached from our reality. But if it weren't detached, I think it would be both. I think it would be one part like it is now in real life, industry, hustling, uh, transacting, building, creating, and then the other part, total relaxation, just bliss, just enjoying, experiencing, living, you know? So I, it would be that duality. It would almost be like uh, years ago, uh, a buddy of mine and I, actually two of them, we, we wanted to create uh, a bar, uh, an actual bar, you know, where people bought drinks <laughs> and uh, we, we were gonna name it, there were gonna be two sides to the bar. One was gonna be called chill and one was gonna be called heat. And the idea is that you could toggle between them and there would be like this middle section in between. And it would allow you to experience something radically different. But that's what it would be for me. It would be the balance of working, hustling, creating, inventing, innovating, and then just total relaxation and bliss. So, I love that. That is a really, really good one. I like <laughs> that very much. I love the balance. Striking the balance between things. That's, I think, where we all should try and head to yes michael thank you so much for joining us and for all of your insights today i cannot tell you how interesting this conversation has been likewise thank you and uh i've enjoyed it this has been fun i really appreciate you tapping into my opinions and my thoughts my perspective I, i'm really stoked that i had the opportunity to talk to you know this this audience about me, about RNO one and what we do is this subscription agency for tech and commerce brands of the future. You can check us out at RNO is an orange, the number one.com. You can find us on design rush because we love the platform and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to talk about other things in the pipeline. So would, would definitely love to come back if given the opportunity. And that brings us to the end of this riveting conversation with Michael. If your project could benefit from a top tier digital agency's expertise, look no further. Head to designrush.com slash marketplace. Our carefully curated selection of agencies is equipped to help you navigate the evolving digital landscape and bring your vision to life. Again, I'm your host, Bianca Mayer. Stay curious and join us for the next episode.